Hello everyone, welcome to episode 14 of the Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, it's been a while since we were last on air, so I'm delighted to welcome back my partner in crime, Jonathan Fadugba. How's things going, John? Yeah, well, welcome back. Hi, Steve. Um, it wasn't the case that I got lost in the Swedish woods for a month and uh, disappeared, and that's why we're, we've taken so long in the pod now. It's just been a bit of a temporary break. Um, but there's been a lot going on since we've been away and we're quite excited about the last few weeks, so we decided to get back on it. Yeah, just one of those hectic uh, schedule periods for uh, for both of us and, uh, yeah, delighted to be back on it. Of course, the international break uh, didn't help matters uh, either. Um, all right, so, well, the, I suppose the big news um, since uh, we were last uh, on air was, uh, well, Malmo the champions of Sweden again, John. It happened last weekend. Uh, job done. They had a little bit of a mini blip, didn't they, at one point, but uh, straight back on the horse for them. And another championship crown. It is indeed, mate. They are now <clears throat> the champions of, of, of uh, Sweden once again. It's been confirmed. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what was more predictable, really. Um, it's probably one of the most predictable plot lines you could could have wanted, isn't it? I mean, it, it wasn't a surprise. I mean, from day one, they were going to be champions, and it was just a matter of time before the crowning, and, and it's finally been uh, achieved. Yeah, I mean, this season they've been very dominant domestically, as expected. Um, at times they're a little bit sloppy as well. Two of their three defeats have been against AFC, Eskilstuna and uh, Urubro, which is kind of surprising. So, I mean, how would you rate them overall this year? Was it just simply the case that the opposition was nowhere near good enough or was this Malmo team special? It's a, a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B, I think. Um I think they're special, but it's in in a kind of a, a different way in the sense that they're not, you know, it's not a special team in the sense of them being a an incredible team in terms of you know team, team cohesion or a, an amazing storyline or something like that happening, or or you know a one player sort of carrying them over the line type thing. It's just a general. They are the best team in Sweden. They are the best organisation in Sweden in the terms of their general setup. Um, they are the best. They are the most financially kind of. Um, they're the team with the most <clears throat> financial clout in Sweden. And they've allowed that to kind of keep the train going, if you see what I mean. So they've swooped on the best players of other teams, for example, as we've mentioned, Kingsley Safa being one of them and other players they've taken, Carlos Strandberg over the summer, who, you know, just helped push them over the line. <clears throat> Several other clubs have wanted players they've attracted. And um, when you add that to an already excellent squad, I mean, we talked about the Magnus, Magnus Wolf on one of the pogs, um, Ikram, who was pretty much the player of the season last season and he, he's struggled to even get into the first team this year really he's been rotated and that's the kind of sense of what it's been like really it's almost like having a basketball team where you've got Kobe Bryant or LeBron James and you can afford to rest them on the bench for a little bit and just rotate the you know the um, outfield sort of team because you've got so many star players so um, I think there is a, there is a sort of credit to be had in that there is a beauty in in just being damn good really isn't it, I suppose but yeah it's not been a sort of um I think unexpected or kind of remarkable story storyline. I wouldn't say particularly, but obviously Malmo fans will will not agree with that. Yeah, well done to Malmo. Um, have you been disappointed by the championship challenges? I mean, I think in the second half of the season, likes of AIK, Jurgarten, they kind of showed some signs of, of of coming back a little bit. But the damage was done in that first half of the year, wasn't it, John? I mean, it, realistically, it was done by halfway. They got off to such a good start, but. Have the challenges disappointed you a little bit? I don't think so, to be honest. Um, it's not that they've disappointed. 
I think they didn't really capitalize on chances they may have had at certain times. There were there were games where maybe they didn't quite challenge when they could have. Um, I recall towards the start of the season when Malmo lost to the likes of North Shopping at home and other teams and dropped points and nobody nobody really capitalized. But ultimately, there's always been this nagging sense that Malmo are the best and will will get the job done. And you know the proportion of late goals they've scored. Uh, you know. They seem to do it every 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 single week. Really pull out an 80th minute, a goal after the 80th minute, and they did it again in the game to seal the title. Um, and that's the sort of team they've been. Really, they 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 um they do they do what it takes, and sometimes they leave it late, and quite often they've left it late, really. But that's because they have that in the tank, and they can um they can do that. And so, you know, I wouldn't say I've been disappointed with the challenges because I think it's unfair to really 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 expect too much from them. I mean, ARK are 10 points behind them. You're going to, you know, um, 12 points behind. But, you know, can, can they really expect to do more when Malmo have Champions League money that when they're able to buy the best players? Um, financially, they're just streets ahead of most of the rest of the competition, really, aren't they, at this moment in time? Mainly because of European money. Exactly. I don't think an awful lot was expected of the challenges, to be honest with you. So, I mean, it's nearly the same case in Norway. Rosenborg are now 10 clear. And it looks like they're steam. Well, they're going to clinch another crown probably at the upcoming weekend, John. Yeah, I mean, Rosenborg. I mean, that is the thing with the <clears throat> the Nordic leagues and the Norwegian and, and Swedish league. They are there are two powerhouses, and the rest at this moment in time are kind of um, fighting to kind of catch them. Really, Malmo, are, in terms of historically, this just cements them. They're, they're, they're top of the all scan all times all scan table. You know, they've they've won um, the most points uh, in in. Also, then scan history if that makes sense, uh, and this is just ex- that just extends their run, you know, really, and um, you know they've now won the title. What was that twenty three times now? I think so. Um, yeah, congratulations to them. Really, they they you know they are they are the kings of Sweden. And there's two stars on that crown now, um, so there's two stars on that badge. Sorry, and congratulations to them. I mean, do you think from the games you've seen of Malmo, what have you made of them? I mean, the big disappointment is Europe, really, wasn't it? And you saw some of their European games. Yeah, I think it was really weird what happened in Europe to them. Although that team, Vardar, around around that period, they were playing some underrated football. Uh, they're being found out big time in the Europa League group stage now, Vardar. But uh, yeah, around that time, they were probably more tricky opposition than, you, than people gave them credit for. Whenever I've seen Malmo... Um, it just feels like they're so clinical. Um, I've seen teams miss quite a lot of chances against them, funny enough. Is that pressure? I don't know. But it just seems teams will miss chances against them and then they'll go up the other end and score clinically. And that, I suppose, is a sign of a good team, isn't it, really? Um, it, it would be a different story if certain opposition actually took their chances against them. But it always seems to be the same, doesn't it, um, with these big teams? That You know, is it the pressure going up front? But, um, you know, I think... Regarding Mama, they've got so many strengths, aren't they? Haven't they? Like you say, and uh, in this terms of this season, they've scored a lot of goals. Uh, streets ahead of the rest, really, in in that regard. Who would you say has been their key players um, to lead them to this championship? Well, that's the thing, Steve. You know, they they just got an absolutely stacked squad, haven't they? Really, and that that is the that is their strength. The strength is the squad. If they have a player injured, they can they can replace that player, and I think that is what stands them out as the best team in in Sweden, really. Um, it's that depth and the ability to attract the top players in the, in the market. As I mentioned, you know, Strandberg and, and Kingsley Safa are two examples. I know for a fact that there were several clubs in for Strandberg in the Elsvenskan 
and it was Malmo who got the job done. And um, you know, when they lost Pavel Savicki, who went to Leeds, that was the guy they they've got to replace him. And he isn't really even necessarily a you know reg guarantee kind of regular. They still got Jeremy Yef and they've still got other you know players up front, Berget and you know top players up front really. So it's that versatility and that ability to um, <clears throat> keep keep ahead of the curve by by having the best players. You know, Rosenborg, um, you know, players like that, really. You know, the no-shopping game when they won the title, obviously, Strandberg scored, and Anders Christensen's been a key man. Uh, we talked about the Rakip on a recent podcast. He was a talent focus. He, he's been very good. Tinner Holm. Um, it's hard to really say, mate. I think they've only lost three games all season. Mm. Um, as you mentioned, to Odeblor, AFC Eskostuna, and no-shopping at home. Apart from that, they've they've had some draws, but, you know, Every single time they do, they're doing poorly. They they do pull it out of the bag. And um, well, talking yeah, about, you have to talking about key results, John. I'm going to take you back to round eleven. Now, prior to this game against AIK, where I actually watched this game, AIK against Malmo. Um, Malmo had drawn one all against Hammerby. They'd lost against Norshipping, and then the 93rd minute they beat AIK away from home one nil. How massive was that result? Yeah, exactly. And it was a <clears throat> that AIK game was a scrappy, wasn't it? It was a last minute header, I think. Uh, from a corner or you know from yeah. a set piece and it was just a scrappy goal in the last minute just to that was classic Malmo really that epitomised what they've done all season if just just three games four games before that they they pulled out a last minute winner against Ostersturns in a in a really kind of scrap a sort of tight game uh, Rakip came up with a 90th minute winner the week before that Joe Ingeberget scored in the last minute to beat Ellsberg away you know the week before that they were 1-0 down against uh, Ordebro at home and then they got two goals in the second half with an 83rd minute winner. You know what I mean? It, that set the tone for the for the you know that early that set the tone really, didn't it, for that the season? And <clears throat> when they lost against North Shopping at home in May, and nobody really managed to sort of deal with that, um, that was the killer. I think one thing I would like to point out as well before we move on was I think I think it was a bit of a disappointment to see what happened to North Shopping. Uh, I do really believe that they, I think they would have in the early part of the season they were the strongest contenders and it was a shame that they obviously in the summer um they lost nicholas Eliasson, who was a top assist provider they also lost um uh, tello who went to to uh Mulder. and you know they lost key men uh, at a crucial time for them really and that i think epitomizes where we are in in terms of swedish football right now it's it's kind of that gen- that that transfer window it, it it benefits malmo more than it benefits the other teams i believe and um you know, North Shipping have dropped down to sixth now and they've they completely collapsed. AIK came back and bought players and, you know, might well end up second. And Malmo just kept, t- t- you know, chugging along and, and, and bought players and, and grew stronger. And I think that is a key issue in, in the offence game at the moment and something that is to Malmo's advantage. The same um, in, in Norway, Rosenborg, um, John, completely the same. Yeah, I mean... Congratulations to Mama. Like I say, they are they are a good team to watch, and I think it is sometimes it is good to have a powerhouse, isn't it? A team who everyone looks at and wants to shoot down. And I think next season there'll be a um, that'll be the challenge for everyone again, isn't it? Can anyone conquer Mama? We've had a few questions actually uh, from listeners who have, who have asked us on that that very same question. Um, we've got one here actually on from Arsenal fanatic who says, "How do you rate AIK's chance of winning the Elsvenskan next year?" Or will Malmo be unstoppable again? Uh, should we address that quickly before we move on to Norway, do you think? Yeah, it's probably a good time to answer that question now, uh, John. I mean, what's your feelings going forward? 
Yeah, it's a really good question, actually, I think. And uh, th thank you for the, the question on Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter at NordicFootPod. Uh, my feeling is I, I actually completely agree. I think that um, ARK, well, if you had to name a team who could challenge, I would say ARK. I think Garden as well could be um, one of them. I think Ostersons will will challenge, but I, I worry about them being able to retain all their players. I think keeping Graham Potter will be massively um, important for them to be able to challenge, although I think they do play excellent football. Um, for the league but if we look at AIK I just think <clears throat> their their recent run uh, they haven't lost a game since the 10th of August in the league you know that's more than 10 games uh, I'm just counting it now <laughs> but yeah I think that's 11 games or 10 games that they haven't lost um, yeah, <clears throat> we mentioned on the last podcast episode 13 when I went out there and watched them play against Hacken and they beat them 6-1 you know it was sensational some of the some of the best football I've seen this season from any team um, <clears throat> the following week they beat Elfsport 5-2 and yeah as I mentioned before I think the signings they've made have, have really laid down a marker Stefanelli he bagged a hat-trick in the game against Elfsborg and Obasi came back and I just feel that you know they've, they've drawn nil-nil away to Malmo tonight and I know Malmo will take their eye off the ball slightly having won the title but um, yeah I think Arsenal Fanatic has identified a, a very likely challenger there what are your thoughts Steve I don't know if you have any any well, AIK have only conceded six goals in the last nine games. Yeah. And for me, the uh, the defensive solidity that they've shown there um, is very handy going forward. And they've scored more goals since the uh, summer transfer window as well. I'm still worried about these sort of nil-nils. Uh, like they had one against Sundsvall. All right, nil-nil away against Malmo. That, that's a pretty good result. But... If they can just sort out those draws next season, they've got a chance, you know. They've got to turn those draws into more wins, I think, John. That's the key, isn't it? Most definitely, yeah. Good observation. <clears throat> they've, um, yeah, they, they've drawn a lot of games, actually. And uh, that will be a key thing, you know, nine games. So that will be a, a challenge for them. But I, I really like what I see from them. And I think, not just that, I think they're exciting to watch. I think, I think ARK fans, they, they've got a good system. I like their tactical setup. Uh, I like a lot of the players they have. I think they are gradually sorting out the goal problems, um, which is which is a major issue for them. They've kept yeah. a number of clean sheets, haven't they? Um, so, it's yeah. Good there. They did, to be honest with you, the way I see it, they, all the challenges, they need Malmo to have a bit of a below-par season to have a chance, don't they? Let's be, be real here. But that could happen, you never know. Yeah, I mean... Um, one team I did want to briefly look at as well as your garden <clears throat> because they uh you know they're looking quite good and there's a, there's a few players that you know they potentially could pick up and Oscan Mikamelchel I think has done quite well there since joining from AFC Eskilstuna last summer or in this in the you know the beginning of the season I think he's done well there and they obviously are you know third in the league uh, and in the race for Europe so yeah I think them Ostersunds AIK the, the probably the most likely challengers but it's going to be a tough ask to beat Malmo because they are the number one. And, you know, once the window opens, they, they've got the ability to go out and, and, and pick up a few more. But um, why don't we move on to Norway? And I've got, we've got another question. I think we'll start with that um, before widening it, if you'd like to. We had a question from uh, Save the Crew, <clears throat> who says, who asks you on Twitter, Steve, who will win Player of the Year in Norway? Um, what do you think, Nicholas Bentner? <laughs> No, he, to be fair, Benner, he has actually improved in the uh, second half of the season quite a lot. But, uh, yeah, I was looking at this question. I've got to be honest with you. 
Um, I'm not entirely sure. I, I think I'm going to need a bit more time to uh, to, to stick out a name for that because um, there's has there been a complete standout star player this year? I wouldn't say so. Not throughout the whole campaign anyway, John. I think certain players have enjoyed solid periods, you know, uh, during the season. Um, so, yeah, it's a really difficult question. I think it's one of those I would actually have to uh, answer at the end of the 30 games, you know, all Oli, things depending. Oli Benro, or has he been too sort of inconsistent? Because he, he, he pulled out the best performance I've seen from a Norwegian player, or, you know, a Norwegian-based player um, against Ajax. That was, that was out of this world. Well, um, that was the, well, probably the moment of the season for me in nor in norway that that european match against ajax what a magnificent game um what a mag magnificent goal yeah he would be a contender because he carried uh, a really sort of poor viking team for long periods um and then i think rosenborg signing him was a masterstroke and they've not even started him in every game he's been starting half of the games and been on the bench for the others so yeah i think he's been a, a big one of, he would definitely get in the in into consideration Obviously, you'd have to include the likes of Ui Amoywanfo in the conversation, Frederick Horgan from Brown, although he's gone off off the boil a little bit recently. Um, you know, a few others here and there. Um, if a Rosenborg, obviously, for them, there's, you could have three or four in the mixer. It's, it's as simple as that, really. But I wouldn't say, for me, this year is... Usually, by now, you'd say, yeah, he's been the top player in the league. The hundred, You know, everyone knows who it is. I think there's a few sort of nominations in the hat yeah. And um, if they finish, if if Nicholas Bender finishes the season as he's been in recent last couple of months, he could actually win it on sheer goals alone. Yeah. You know, John. I'm just looking at the table actually. Is the top scorer chart, and he's he's top scorer. Um, and yeah, for people who have, have a Premier League interest, you've got Nicholas Bender joint top of the goal scoring charts, and then you've got um, former Blackburn player Morton Gantz Pedersen who's top of the assist charts. Are they are they in line or are they? Um, you know, they're just having a good streak. A good streak. I have to say, I didn't even realise that Morton Gams Pedersen was top of the assist charts. John, how many is he? How many has he got? <laughs> He's got nine assists now, according to uh, according to this table I'm looking at. That's actually quite impressive. That one slipped under my radar. <laughs> well, Ben, uh, what you got to remember about his 17 goals? Quite a lot of them are coming in the second half of the season. He's. Mm. I predict he would be a bit of a flop this year and he was for quite the large majority of it he wasn't always in the mood he wasn't really up for it but he settled really well in Rosenborg he's enjoyed them and he's uh, got the bit between his teeth in recent weeks and I think finally they've worked out a way to get the ball to him properly the first half of the season they were playing he wasn't getting the chances really but I think they devised a way to get him in the game more and um, that's really paid off for them so he's proven his basically his confidence has just increased tenfold he, he in his mind now he believes he's probably the top dog in the league and he probably is um but early in the year it was a different story for bentner gams pedersen i would i wouldn't have him in the mixer at all no um it's one of those where statistically i don't know how he's managed that but he hasn't been a standout performer for me personally john i'm afraid fair enough well let's move on to the relegation battle quickly because um we do have a kind of special guest coming up, don't we? Which I'll, 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 <clears throat> you're going to introduce soon. But um, briefly, let's look at the relegation battle. What's the latest? Uh, I see Viking a pretty much nail in the coffin. Yeah, I mean, they've been down for, I think on the last podcast, even the one before that, I said I felt they were gone. Um, they came back with a good win at Christiansund, actually, 2-0 um, last week. 
but uh, unfortunately it went completely pear-shaped on Sunday. They lost 7-1 at home against Valerenga. More on Valerenga in a minute, but look, I don't care who you are, you can't lose 7-1 at home, can you? Um, it's It was... I mean, Valerenga took their chance as well. There was a couple of really good goals, but some shambolic defending at times. The goalkeeper, I thought, could have done an awful lot better on two or three of the goals. Ian Burtnell um, brought in his number two goalkeeper a few weeks ago to replace uh, the original guy at Uspo. Um, but the, I say the number two guy, Vickner, I think he was given uh, on a website that I sometimes uh, visit uh, a one out of ten rating. That's how poor he was in the fixture, and he, he was he was shocking. Um, that's I mean, Viking haven't got a good goalkeeper. That's part of the problem. It was really disappointing to see them lose 7-1 at home, John, because I've defended them quite a lot this year. But really, you, you cannot do that. I mean, I think they're all but down now. Mathematically, it'll probably happen this weekend. They'll go down with a bit of pride, hopefully, maybe get a win or two. But, um, yeah, very disappointing result, that one for them, John, I've got to say. And then that moves us on to Arlison, who I heard you've got a bit of a rant about, haven't you? <clears throat> yeah, I do have a big, big rant about Alison because I think they've handled the situation completely wrong. First half of the season, there were in, there were even people were talking about them as a dark horse for a medal. Uh, that's how well they were going. After the 14th round, I think they'd only lost two or three games. Um, but since then, they haven't won. They haven't won a match since the 25th of June, which I do believe is 11 or 12 games now. But there's no excuses for Alisson. Unlike at Viking, where there's been a lack of talent all year, they've had problems off the field financially, injuries, a big turnover in players in, in the transfer window. Alisson have had no problems at all. They've got the players on paper um, to be a comfortable mid-table team. They've had no injuries, hardly. Not many suspensions. They had that issue with uh, Edwin Gyasi, we talked about, with the transfer. He is holdout, but that only lasted two or three weeks so when um and they've not been unlucky with performances either unlike viking who should have had an awful lot more points Arsenal have deserved their defeats or, or the draws they've just played very poorly so when that happens john there's only one answer really isn't there and it's a coaching problem um in my opinion uh tron fredrickson um it just it hasn't been working for him. They should have sacked him probably three or four weeks ago now to give themselves a chance of relegate, uh, avoiding relegation. And they were very, very lucky on Friday night. A uh, big game against Christiansen. It ended one all. Christiansen nabbed a late goal. It looked like they were going to win it. And then Arsenal actually put, pushed the keeper up front to try and equalise in stoppage time. And uh, Christiansen had a two-on-two, -two, an open goal. They missed that. And Arsenal equalised with the last kick of the game. Very lucky for Alisson. I just don't think it's going to be a springboard for them to uh, to recover. They needed to win that game. They needed to sack the coach. Now they're on about trying to bring someone in, but I think it's too late now. It's just too late. Uh, Tron Fredrickson has been out of his depth. I think he's lost the dressing room, and he's going to take them down to the Obosl again. There's the meat man verdict. <clears throat> Steve Wiss on the Nordic Football Podcast. That's the that's the verdict on Alisson. Too late for them. Too late for them. Yeah, it's um, too late. Yeah. We've got Tromso and Sundal. Very briefly before we wrap it up, um, Christiansen are not in the relegation zone, and they are the ones that you pinpointed as definitely going down. Are they going to get sucked in again, or are they pulling off uh, a bit of a? Are they poking you in the eye with that one? 
Yeah, what they did was criminal. They lost at home against Viking 2-0. I mean, that's like an open goal, isn't it, at the moment? You can't lose at home to Viking. And then that draw, the, I mean, if they just won on against Friday against Arsenal, for me, they'd be safe. So I just think that's going to really come back and bite them in the arse. Um, I see Christian Sunders finishing third bottom now. Tromso, they've got enough about them. Songdao, somehow they'll find, they'll graft, find a way to survive. But one good thing, the third place, uh, sorry, the relegation playoff match is usually won by the elite Assyrian team. Um, the golfing class is too much. So whoever does finish 14th shouldn't be too concerned. Just before we uh, finish the relegation talk, I want to talk about um, Valorenga because they were, were in the relegation mix just three games ago. Um, really struggling, but they've since hit back with four wins out of five. Some spectacular wins. And uh, it seems the catalyst for this was a bizarre manoeuvre from Ronnie Dyla um, of stripping naked in front of his team. <laughs> yeah, I saw that actually. Well, not not anything untoward, but I saw the headline. Um, <laughs> but I'm wondering if it was a... Uh, what prompted that reaction? I don't really know how why he did it. I just think it feels it feels like he wanted. He said he wanted his players to express himself, um, but it's obviously worked, hasn't it? And he, he used the international break really well. Of course, mixed in with that, they blew a two 0 lead against Starbeck. Um, more on that in the interview with Tony Ordenas coming up at the end. But uh, yeah. I mean, they've been brilliant since then. A three 0 win against Hogerson, five one against Alston, and seven one against Viking. Fantastic stuff from Ronnie Dyler. Um, you know, anyone who questioned his uh, motivational tactics, uh, he's rammed it right down their uh, throat there, John. Yeah, and it brings a whole new meaning to the phrase naked ambition, I guess. But um, let's move on, shall we? And the relegation yeah. zone in Sweden is done and dusted. Yeah, I mean, it was the writing was always on, on the cards for Halmstad, AFC, Eskil Stuna. Um, what are your thoughts on, on both going down, ultimately, mate? <clears throat> yes, it's sad for uh, Michael Jolly, obviously, who we've had on the podcast. You know, um, the manager of AFC Eskilstein obviously moved moved out there uh, to, to take on the challenge. And it was really, you know, a mountainous challenge, to be honest. Um, it was a tough one. And, yeah, they, they've just fallen short. I think the probably the key game was the Gibson Swag game that we talked about in depth on the, I think, pod 12 it was. Well, it's going to be really hard now for them to come back from. But um, they still had lifelines. But yeah, they've just not been able to get out of it. And uh, Jorn Shopping have this evening buried them, both Hamstad and the FC Eskostuna, with a 2-0 win over Kalmar. Uh, two penalties. And yeah, that's the uh, final bit of dirt in, in the coffins of both sides who return to the Super Etten. But uh, yeah, Yon Shopping now have you know avoided that particular um, mishap. Their challenge now is the, to avoid the relegation playoff. It's going to be between them, uh, Gif Sundsvall, who now descend into the relegation playoff, having um, you know having seen Yon Shopping climb above them, and Kalmar are the other ones who, with two games left, they're four points behind. So you, you'd think they'd, they'd probably be all right, but Kalmar could fall into the relegation playoff. Um, surprisingly, Hammerby are the team above Kalmar, you know, so they've really slumped in, in recent times. But um, yeah, it's good. It's good for you and shopping or Kalmar for a relegation playoff. But goodbye to Hampstead and goodbye to AFC Eskilstuna. We had a question from a, a listener, didn't we? 
Um, yes, we did have a question about. I'm just trying to refind. The, I've got it here. Yes, got it. <laughs> the top players from Halmstad and AFC Eskilstuna. Where will they move to? Yeah, that's from at Swede Stats, who's a great contributor, by the way. Um, always, always good, lively in the debates, uh, and a good question, I think. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's one of those where I've said it several times on the podcast since we began that AFC and um, even Halmstad have a couple of decent players who who would be coveted by other teams, and so it is an interesting question. I think top players, okay, well, top players at AFC. I think Buyatore will have interest, although his red card against Ham uh, against Hacken was arguably the final nail in their coffin, really, um, in the recent game there. And that was, you know, that that was the big that was really the end of it all. And his disciplinary issues are something that will potentially put off bigger clubs, I think, to be honest, because he's been sent off, I think, three times now this season, at least twice, maybe three times. Um, Omar Adari has been a, a subject of this podcast many times. He was linked with Fulham at one point, but uh, Jurgarden now looked to be a, a strong contender to pick him up, um, which would be him reuniting with Oskan Malcolm Mitchell, who was the previous AFC Eskilstuna manager. Uh, he'd be a, he'd be that would be a, a bit of a coup, I think, because um, Jurgarden could could use his creativity um, to help them challenge Malmo next season. And Halmstad, I would probably say Kaita will be one, although he's on, only on loan. He's had an impressive season, despite despite everything um but yeah the, the most recent rumor i guess is um Mattison from uh from Halmstad who's actually come out this evening and said that he, he's probably going to leave so he's not wasted any time um well no sorry he's not said he's going to leave but he's kind of left the door open um said he probably will stay actually so apologies to that but he said that if barcelona comes in for him then he's uh, he's available so you know he's not he's not he's not completely ruled out leaving has he but uh I'm not sure if they're gonna be looking at him to replace uh, to replace Neymar anytime soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I've got a question for you about these two teams, uh, Halmstad and AFC. I mean, do you have any sympathy here, John? I mean, have both teams given their their all this year? Do they deserve to go down? Was the talent level simply not there, or have have both underachieved? No, I think it's a it's a big ask. You know, they both they both come up last season, and I think it is a. It is a big ask. Um, I think the problem with it, it's a similar thing to what we talked about with Malmo. I think that that transfer window is just it's a game changer every year, and I think <clears throat> AFC were hopeless to begin from the start of the season. Um, Pele Olsen had troubles there, and I, I felt they played well, but they were just defensively woeful. Um, Michael Jolly's gone in there, and he's he's not quite been able to turn that around in, in enough time, and they had a lot of new signings in the window but haven't didn't really have a huge impact so i think the you know the gap was there defensively Halmstad i thought looked quite good um <clears throat> at times but the problem was they they lost key players as well in in the window um you know they lost their captain and they lost others and i think that was the you know that was the real problem because since since the um you know since the winter sorry since the summer break they've they've been on an awful run haven't they steve um I don't know if you've got the stats up there with you, but they, Halmstad really struggled in the second part of the season and it, it's looked like a bit of a matter of time for them at the times. Oh, it's a game. That, that window is a real game changer. I mean, look at Sirius, for example. They had a nightmare after the window, didn't they? Um, yeah, before it, they were doing well. You've got to do well in that first half of the season, haven't you? If you're a smaller team, because you're going to lose your top players. 
or your top performers um, in, in that window. It's as simple as that. So yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's a really good, it's a really good point you make there. Um, and that that's the issue. It's it's that I think if 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 if, if you're a manager, or if you were a, sort of a director of a, of a club like that who comes up, I think you need to be looking at the second part of the season. I think to a certain extent, you're almost better off saving your money, saving any kind of resources, and and um, working out who you could maybe pick up on loan or on a, on a free transfer, or maybe out of favour players who don't get in the teams of the first part of the season maybe and then picking a few of them up and saving your budget for that because yeah. if you go into it with players you've either signed or your own top players and they do really well they they're like they're likely to be plucked and then if they're plucked mid-season and you're unable to replace them you are you're up shit creek without a paddle really aren't you and i don't swear very often but um that is the case isn't it oh and, yeah uh, you completely don't <laughs> look, don't you? Simple yeah and if you just have to look at Halmstad, you know said hackers went to west ham you know what's he really done since played under? He's played a few games for their under twenty three teams. Okay, he's got a, a big pay rise in the Premier League, but what's he actually done since since he left? You know, would six months more in in a relegation battle, first team football, been beneficial? But mm. you know, obviously players have to think about their careers and people around them and that. So I, I appreciate it. It's not I'm not saying he should have stayed or it was a mistake, but you know, um, it's just difficult, isn't it, to keep those sort of players when they get that interest and. Um, he left obviously, and you know now it's looking like uh, Isaac Pettersson, their goalkeeper, is off to North Shopping. So Hampstead do have a few players who who will get picked up, but um, yeah, as you pointed out, and it's a very good point. It's been... yeah, the, just before we we conclude here, the the relegation playoff match. It looking at the Super Retten table, it all looks very likely a team called Trelleborg will be facing um, the uh, team that finishes third bottom. Mm. Of the table. I mean, I don't know what your knowledge of the uh, this playoff historically is like, John. Is the gulf between the two divisions a, a big one um, or not? No, no, it's it's not a massive one. I mean, um, Hampstead uh, Hampstead went up through that that last season, and that was beating uh, Helsingborg. And Helsingborg are a massive team for you know mm. historically in Sweden. Really, they're they're a big club. So um, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a uh, too big of a of a gap. Uh, I haven't seen much of Trelleborg this season, so I, I wouldn't be best placed to sort of comment on how well, how well they do. I have seen some Super Retten games, but I haven't caught them. Um, but, you know, it, the gap isn't insurmountable. And if a team like Gif Sundsvall or Jön Shopping happens to get caught up in that relegation playoff, uh, which is looking likely, they, you know, they're not guaranteed to. Tough game. To out of it. Yeah, they'll, be, they'll have a tough game no matter what. Yeah, I mean, um, top of that table right now are... Uh... Bromma Puyakana and uh, Dalkerd. I've got to admit, I've never ever heard of that team before in all my days of Swedish football. But they, <laughs> they look like they're going to be coming up first and second. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to those. Um, though, yes, I think that pretty much covers uh, all the issues on, on this podcast for now. Um, now, coming up the end of this uh, podcast, we've got an interview with uh, the Starbeck manager, Tony Ordenas, which we recorded a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it was great to have Tony on the show. And uh, as I say, that is uh, how the podcast is going to conclude. Um, so we're going to leave you uh, on that note. But uh, yeah, it's been great to uh, be back in action again, John. And uh, hopefully we'll return next week. Well, I wouldn't bank on it because you've said that a few times and then we, we've gone on absence. So, But uh, yeah, we will be back soon. And we've got end of season awards coming. One thing I would ask any listeners is if you have your team of the season, um, start jotting down your team of the season and... Uh, maybe get in touch with us and tell us who you thought were the best players in both leagues uh, this year, because we'll be talking about that in the 
coming weeks and it'll be great to have some feedback there but um yeah let's have a listen to this interview shall we steve yeah, absolutely. And uh, please bear in mind the interview was conducted a couple of weeks ago, so we are kind of going back in time a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'll hand you over to the interview with uh, Tony Ordenas now. On this edition of the Nordic Football Podcast, we are delighted to welcome the Starbuck manager, Tony Ordenas, to the show. Hi, Tony. How are you doing today? Hi, how are you? Everything good? Great to have you on board. And uh, I think the first place we're going to have to start is is the weekend. Um, I mean, what a match you had in the Oslo derby against uh, Valerenga. Um, for those uh, who don't know, uh, Valerenga took a 2-0 lead thanks to a Christian Grintheim brace. So 2-0 to the visitors at half-time, but Starbreck produced an incredible second-half comeback to win 4-2. Uh, you must be absolutely delighted with the, the second-half, Tony. What did you say at half-time to inspire such a great comeback? Yeah, I think uh, I think to explain the match, probably the first point to be fair is that uh, I think the team did uh, a good first half. Uh, well, for me, it was more difficult when we were walking uh, in the break to the dressing room to say, okay, how I can argument in front of the players that we are losing no uh, uh, two, no, because I think our football was good, uh, we create chances, uh, but then Volarena was so effective, no. Uh, so first of all, the first message was, hey, listen, uh, forget about the result. Uh, let's go to analyze what's happened on the pitch, uh, minute by minute. Uh, we are better team. Uh, we we are we are the team who play better football. So what we can do? One, we can give up and forget. Uh, probably our people will never understand. Second, we can go with the idea that we we score one goal. We have the impression that Morena will be afraid the rest of the time and. I think we were lucky because in in, uh, in a few minutes we equalised the game and then of course the rest of the match was was full energy and full gas for us. Yes, I, I have to say I think your players um, performed like animals possessed. They had so much fight and desire about them in the second half. But you made an interesting substitution. Frank Bolly came on and he made a real difference, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know sometimes sometimes you make change because. Uh, a player is not playing good or or is under the performance that you expect. In this case, it's nothing about uh, Ahmed, it's more about, okay, we are we are losing two goals, uh, we have to change something to provoke a reaction, uh, who, who can give us uh, experience and goals, of course, from Boli. So let's go to try this, let's go to see what is the impact with Uwe and Boli on top, uh, what, what this means, uh, I think was an was interesting institution. How much energy do you, did you and the players get from the crowd in the second half? Because the passion levels just seem so high and the energy seems so high. Did they make a real difference, the fans? Yeah, yeah. We, we, because, uh, you know, Stavik is a family. And that, I think, is one of the part of our identity. You know, if we, if we, if we realize who is Stavik, is uh, a small group uh, who understand that we don't have the research that, for example, Volana have. So I think the people understand that uh, when the players give everything, they they have to play the match with us. No, that was fantastic. Uh, I think uh, during all the match, but especially when the, I think when the people smelt the energy that we keep in the second half, uh, I think the people were surprised because we have to be honest that this season we had troubles to come back when when a team take advantages. So everybody, I think, it was a perfect uh, union of, of efforts and. Uh, I think the last 25 minutes was amazing. Yeah, well, once again, very well done on that result, Tony. Let's just go into a little bit more about your history at Starbeck. And I do believe you've been associated with the club since 2013. And you became head coach last season. 
uh, after a poor start to the season cost Billy McKinley his job. Um, just talk to us a bit how a Spaniard like you got into Norwegian football with Starbeck. Yeah, it's, um, there is one moment where I am working uh, in, in different clubs in, in that moment with Atletico Valares in, uh, in, in Mallorca and also I was connected with the, with the Federation with the instructor for the licensed coaches, coaches courses. Uh, this is the reason why through a company I, I appears in, in Norway um, then I of course you, you get an impression about the Norwegian football then uh, in the end of November uh, there is a contact with the Stavik and uh, they ask if uh, I can come to Norway to, to know more about the club and uh, the situation in, the, in that moment of the club is is, uh, is hard. The, the first team went down from from Tipe Liga to to Oberliga. Uh, the second team was relegated from second division to third division. But the club has, I think, uh, one clear point. The club want to build a, a very good academy. The club want to make and build the best academy in in Norse football. So they have a direction. Uh, I like the idea. I like the. The personally for me, the the, uh, the possibility to, to learn more about uh, cook football culture that is uh, quite different from Spain. So that was attractive for me, and also for it was I think a good opportunity for my family and the spirit for for my young children to to go from a small island like Mallorca to to see the world and learn language. So this is how I I in Stavek, working with the academy with the reserve team and the junior team. Uh, then uh, after two years, uh, I took the role as a technical director in the academy, and then, uh, like you say, last season, um, well, the, the things didn't go in the right direction with Billy, and then uh, the Indian Relson, the sport director, said, "Tony, uh, I think you are the, the man who can help us to to resolve the problem." And that was a great opportunity for me. Yes, you took over. The team only had ten points from fourteen games. They had suffered ten defeats in that period of time. Uh, you took over and you uh, managed to obtain 21 points from the last 16 games, average of 1.31 uh, points in that period. Um, what? How did you manage to turn it around, Tony? Because a lot of teams would have got relegated on that start, wouldn't they? So what was the secret, do you think, for your success last season, keeping Starbeck in, in the elitist area? I think uh, for me it was a little, uh, I will say, easy to understand uh, the meaning of, of uh, our identity, you know, Stavek is a club that always has been recognized in, in Norway, as, as you probably know, as a club who want to play a different football, uh, football based on offensive still, uh, dominate by ball, uh, a team with uh, good uh, individual skills, players, uh, even if the, the, the last season was not, not that situation, so my first point was, okay, let's go to be Stavik once again, let's go to be ourselves, because uh, if in the end this go, this uh, do, go wrong, at least we will lose without identity. And I think it's important, I think there are different ways to lose. No? The second part is that uh, we create a very good spirit in the group. Uh, we start to talk and use the expression that we are a family. Uh, I think the players understood, uh, we are a family, we are a small group. Uh, we have to do by by work and hard work what other ones can do in a different way. I think the reaction was very positive. Uh, the confidence that the board and uh, Ingi Andrelson as sport director uh, give to me uh, was very important uh, because I understand that 
in the same scenario, I, I don't think too many uh, sport directors believe in a, in a coach that has no real experience as a first manager. So I think is a lot of credit, of course, for for the board and Indian Relson in that in that in that case. And uh, you know, we, we create a group that we were competing almost every match, uh, losing matches, but even if we lose, we we compete quite well. Uh, and as you say, we turn. 21 points that is not easy if you look the teams who are involved this season in more or less the same position it's not easy but but in the end i think we we managed to believe and i think this was the key uh, yeah be, believe that uh, every game is an opportunity to grow up to take points and uh, i think we did a good job now of course the hard work wasn't done because um now for the listeners who don't underst- who understand the uh the league rules uh, the third bottom team in the elite Serien will play the third place team uh, that wins the playoffs in the Obos again um, and that's the, the same case every season Starbeck were involved in that playoff uh, last year against Jerv you were seven minutes away from relegation Tony but then two goals in five minutes uh, saved your skin uh, what is it like playing in two such high pressure matches like that uh, it was a it was a great learning was a great learning because uh, I remember pretty well. Uh, I remember the meeting in the hotel uh, before the match. We say, okay, uh, we have to win. Uh, it, this is so. So we we have a handicap there. The second part can be a scenario where we score quick. Okay, this this can 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 happen. But but let's go to be ready that let's go and and we talk. Uh, let's go to be ready that we are in the last 50 minutes. And we need to go. Uh, we have to be ready for that scenario. We cannot be frustrated. Uh, of course, will be pressure there, but uh, we, we, I think, we talk in a very honest way with the players. Uh, listen, uh, nobody guarantee that uh, we will score quick. So, if this is the scenario, keep calm, play with a good tempo, make them, make the every single minute really long for you, because even if the minute is the same, the perception of the minute change. And uh, yeah, I think was a match where we 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 quite pushed very well in the beginning. We didn't get the goal, and then then become the last ten minutes magic minutes in, in another. Yeah, brilliant way to secure survival. I'm sure it gave you um, a confidence boost and a real springboard to start 2017 well. And so far, I mean, you've had a pretty solid season, haven't you? 33 points so far. You could potentially finish maybe even as high as fifth. Uh, Tony, um, in the off season, I mean, I've got to say, I personally think you made some very good signings. Um, I'm sure you would probably agree with that one. But also, it was players from last season who improved their level, and one of those guys is definitely Ui Umoiwanfo, who a lot of people are talking about in the Elite Serian right now. He's the leading goal scorer, mm-hmm. um, 17 goals. I don't think anyone really expected him to have such a great year. Well, certainly outside of the club, anyway. You might have thought differently. What what has been the big changes that's made Ui so clinical in front of goal? Did you notice something in the winter that you thought, yes, he's ready for a really big season? I think uh, when I when I took the team, uh, I remember pretty well my first meeting uh, with with Ui, and then uh, I asked him, okay, what what is the, the the best way that you think you can contribute to the team? And then the answer was, well, Tony, you know. Uh, I'm not quite sure what is my role here. I have been playing as a winger, as a striker, uh, not play. Uh, I think the best that I can do is maybe I have to return to others. And then I say, okay, listen, I have a different plan for you. 
uh, why we don't focus that how we can optimize your physicality because he's a player that with a great physicality uh, strong he improved a lot I think I said to him I think you will improve a lot if your explosivity uh, increase because if it's not you are a player easy uh, to mark because you are slower and from there I think he did a fantastic job uh, I can guarantee to you that Uwe is one of these players that after almost every session he has his 15-20 minutes where he practices by himself, by a coach, with Jan Pedriallan, reciting balls, turning, finishing, heading. So I think the mentality of him to understand, I have to improve, uh, I know what Tony spent for me. Then for us also was a moment where I said, okay, uh, is Ui the, the man on target that we can have? Uh, and, and you start to see, I will say, October, uh, that things start to change. You see a player that, oh, this can be the man. And when we we went to Spain, uh, no, sorry, before, of course, uh, against Jeff, he scored the goals. Then in Spain, in the preparation with the, for the qualification, we played a friendly match against Lorca, and uh, he was great, scoring three goals. Then against Jeff, he was our man, and then we say, okay, definitely he's our man. Uh, and I was very clear with him in the, in the winter time, uh, you are my first choice as a striker. Uh, so the, the, if someone is coming to the club, he has to fight against you to take the place. And uh, I think with a bit more confidence and uh, uh, everything is, is useful. And then I think he's a lot of credit about himself. You know, 17 goals in Elitasian is not at all easy. Yeah, I think it would be great to see him win the golden boot. Uh, I've got to say, especially over someone like Nicholas Bentner, who, uh, you know, yeah. the expectations were so high, weren't they? But it'd be yeah, great yeah. to see someone like Ui um, uh, claim that award. Uh, now, I, I mentioned uh, signings. Um, now, did you know, Tony, you actually have um, the lowest average age of squad in the whole Elitis Arian? Um, mm. Just 23.2 years. And for the for the listener's reference, Bran actually have the oldest squad in the league, averaging 27 years old. Um, you really have um, great links to, to youth players, and you, you've been really faithful and, and quite willing to, well, not risk youth players, but develop youngsters and, and also sign players at a younger age. Is there a particular reason for this, Tony? Are you just someone who really likes to develop the, the younger talent? Do you have an eye for that younger talent, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, first of all, is the strategy as a club. No? Uh, we strongly believe that the best player that we can bring to the first team is our, is our own academy players. Uh, actually, for example, uh, I can talk to you this morning uh, to talk in, in a very concrete day. This morning, in the session, we have two G15 players born in 2002. Uh, my dream is that uh, at least one of them will play minutes this year in Elite Serie. Then we have a G16 player, 2001, uh, who offers a fantastic session today. We strongly believe that he can be also one of the potential players in the end of the season or the beginning of the next one. We have uh, players born in 98, 99, uh, to, uh, the case of Hugo, I think, is a special. I think uh, the first uh, 2000 boy play in Elita Serie, and I think, to be to be honest, I think the level of Hugo right now is one of the top in, 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 in Elita Serie. And so, so he's part of the, our strategy as a club. And then I think, uh, personally, I'm really proud uh, because uh, when I think about a young player, I don't take care about the age. Uh, I take care about how hungry he is. Uh, this is why, for example, we were... Uh, very happy to see uh, John Heather from Rosenborg. Hungry player, young, 98, 
Uh, we strongly believe that uh, his intelligence and understanding uh, football fit perfectly in our in our still to play. So, so as as much I can, I, I prefer with I prefer to work with youth, youth players who are really hungry and they have really ambitious to to develop as professional football players. Yeah, and of course you men- mentioned uh, Hugo uh, Vettelson there. I mean, he's been an absolute sensation. Uh, Seventeen years old now, but. Um, I mean, you you really flung him in at the deep end, didn't you, at the start of the season? But he was completely ready, and uh, he delivered the sort of performances which, you know, uh, far surpass expectations for someone his age. Really, it's been magnificent, hasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think his his development is fantastic. I when uh, of course I, I know Hugo from the academy, so this was an advantage for me. I know pretty well what he can deliver. I have to be honest; I didn't expect that his development was in the level that is today but uh, the first thing that we say to him in the first thing was please don't now just try to do easy things and play safely you are Hugo you are a man who your first second touch forward is one of your keys as a player keep playing forward keep keep taking risk keep dribbling because uh, I am what uh, what sometimes worry me is that when you bring a player for the first team he just try to survive and make easy things so they have to they have to spray by themselves they have to have the, the, the football that they have, I think, for example, the contribution of Hugo in the third goal against Valorena, how he turned the ball and dribbled inside of the box is is amazing. Uh, the contribution that he did in the third goal. So, yeah, for sure, is, Hugo is one of uh, I agree with you, one of the sensations of the of the season in Norway. Do you think that um, quite a lot of the young players really enjoy playing for you personally, uh, Tony? Tony, in that you've got a really great reputation for. Uh, Dealing with the younger players, and what would you say are your biggest strengths as a as a manager? Probably my passion. Probably, probably my, my mentality that uh, I don't take care of how many mistakes you. Do. I take care of that. Uh, I will help you, and uh, just please learn from the mistakes. Uh, I am a very uh, a person that I, I really believe that. Uh, what you need in life many times is just uh, the, a simple opportunity. So, so I am uh, very open in terms of formation. Uh, we play different formation. Uh, I am uh, I am open in if uh, a match uh, is more linked by counter or by possession or by. But uh, what I hate is uh, war with people that wake up in the morning and when I watch them on the gym before the session or during the session. I don't see fire on the eyes. I hate that. I, uh, mm. But if I see a player that is ambitious, is hungry, try do mistakes, uh, then I, for example, I say to Yepet Moody the other day, hey, listen, I don't think you miss a goal in Christensen. Ah, but, but the people say I miss a goal. No, no. I think just you try three times very good to arrive into the box. This is so. It's it's all about how you see the situation. No? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a coach that I like to see the positivism of, of the players, help them understand that uh, they have the talent. And I, I am the person who can just help them to make the steps, especially when when the dark moments appear. Huh? That always appear in, during the season. Yeah, you really always seem like a really great sort of players uh, coach and uh, a great motivator as well, Tony. I've got to say. Yeah, right. Finally, just before we finish, uh, let's just talk about Starbeck as a club going forward. Because I mean, ten years ago, uh, they actually won the Elitesarian. Uh, we were in the medal spots a couple of years ago under Bob Bradley. Um, but realistically, going forward, what are the ambitions for the club? Can you keep hold of 
your top players in the winter. It's very hard, isn't it, for clubs in Norway to keep their top players? Yeah, yeah, because uh, the, the model of, of the, the, the football league and the, the, the business model of Norwegian clubs is based on the exportation of the players. Uh, I think in Stavik, yeah, you mentioned in the 2008, uh, just to, to give you, an, uh, and I, probably you know, uh, the budget of Stavik in that moment was around 100 million uh, Norwegian crowns. Uh, we are now 65% less budget. Uh, this is the reality. Uh, and I think from the board and the, 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 the people on, on, on the strategy of the club, they are very concrete that uh, the, the, the club must be in balance financially. We, can, we cannot go again, again in, in a travels financially. So the best way to do this is uh, thinking a long-term uh, project you know, where the academy Stavik Academy, who probably for me, with all my respect to the rest of the group, is, is the best in, in, in Norway, uh, is the core of the project. And the people that we bring from all of us has to be really talented, has to be really reference for our, our midfielders. Uh, to put an example, I think Jonathan Mansa is an example for our young midfielders about what, what means a talented midfielder. No? So uh, if, we, if we can have this business model in balance, it would be great. And then for sure, uh, this is, I think, also part of our identity. We are not uh, we are not really sad when a player leaves Stavik. Uh, for example, in the case of Birger Melin, we will be more happy if he goes to Holland or Germany or England, uh, uh, like, for example, Diamande. You know? In the case of we, we know that will be a moment, can be now in December, can be in the next summer window, where he has to leave Stavik. Yeah. Because this is part of our success. Yeah. That's Take the, that's a player the who play in Obos League, develop, and now say, okay, now you are ready for the next step. In the end, the individual success of the player is also the static success, and, and we are proud of that. And what about Tony Ordinas, the man himself, for going forward for the future? Where do you see yourself, say, in 10 years' time, Tony? Do you, do you have ambitions to maybe coach outside of Norway again going forward in the long term? Well, I cannot. Uh, I, I cannot say that I don't have a vision because then I'm not honest with you. Uh, well, uh, it's difficult for me. Uh, I am a man who, I, uh, for me, my professional life is linked with my family life. Uh, my family is so happy here. I, I ask different times in these four years, why we not come back to Spain, and they say no, we want to live here. So. So I think they are really well integrated in Norway. Uh, but of course, uh, uh, as, a, as a coach, uh, of course, you want to challenge yourself. No? I think took the first team was a challenge for me. After 21 years working in the youth development, uh, both in Spain and, and the last four years in Norway, now is a new environment. It's a challenge for me. I'm learning a lot. I'm learning from every other manager in the league, every, every player. Uh, I'm really happy of the experience that I have now, and uh, personally, if I can uh, stay as long as possible in Stavik, it will be fine. But uh, I guess that, uh, like many times happen, one day Stavik will me thank you so much, this is finished, so I will need a new job. So let's go to see what happens. Brilliant. Yeah, actually, funny enough, when we had Sean Constable on, the assistant at Sandefjord, he said exactly the same thing about he's enjoying life so much in Norway that uh, he doesn't want to move back at this point in time. So I can totally understand that. Tony Ordenas, thank you very much indeed for appearing on the, the show this week. We've really enjoyed your uh, thoughts uh, on Starbeck. What a great club. Uh, what a great man you are. And uh, best of luck for the rest of the season and going forward uh, to the future. Thank you very much, Tony. Just a pleasure. Thank you so much. All the best for you.
Thanks.